0: This is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. And Brooke You are. And Brooke Hewart. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. And uh if you're just getting into your car driving to work huge breaking news in the sports world today uh just had a friend text and say he had to pull over to read about this story that it was the most shocked he's been by a sports story since Kobe died it is shocking live golf and the PGA tour are merging into one huge entity. We'll play you some sound from Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA coming up in 15 minutes with everything else you need to know. We don't have a ton of details yet other than that. None of the players on the PGA tour or either tour were told about this. It was all done at the top level. And then it was sprung on everybody today. They found out when we found out through the media and that is going to not play well. I'm going to mm. guess for all of those players who turned down the money because of their morality and their loyalty to now have this happen behind their back, I think is going to be uh wow, just an absolute complete mess. So yeah, we'll dig back into that coming up here in 15 minutes. Today is of course the beginning of mandatory mini camp for the Seahawks. And with that in mind, we do have some rapid fire questions that Mora has put together for us. Mora, what do we got for rapid fire today? Or you want me to ask them? I'll ask them. Here uh, we go. I could
1: do it. Sorry. All I right. was getting, re- getting ready for some, uh, some Technical stuff behind we the scenes. Technical here. issues. Uh, we just have an EAS test we need to do coming we up. We have
0: here. to warn the people.
1: So, heads up for everyone that that's coming. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. I was going to try to get some music on here for you, too. Oh. Let's see. Oh, nice.
0: Yeah. Make it official.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, From who? The Great Irons. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we kind of need to put you on a pitch clock here, too, because it's rapid fire. Okay, rapid fire. Who Let's has, go. Let's go. Let's go. Who Let's who go. The the most hurry, up, hurry up. Hurry up. Hurry up. Where's the most to proof?
0: At minicamp?
1: Just through, I think these are kind of minicamp through training. I'm going to say right off-season.
0: now it's Drew Locke based on what I saw at uh, OTAs. He has to, I mean, I don't know who's going to come in and replace him, so maybe he's has got this job somewhat guaranteed, but at least watching him and the way the offense bogged down as soon as he took over, Drew
2: Locke's going to be on my list of people with things to prove. Oh, it's Devin Witherspoon. I mean, he went number five. You, you took him number five over other opportunities. You didn't trade down. You took a corner at that position. Shaquille Griffin was the highest drafted corner in 12 years because you just mold clay and you make corners and you took Tariq Willen in the fifth round. Yeah, I don't think there's any question that eventually, you know, they're going to be conservative. He's not going to go out there and run with the ones today and go full speed. They've, they've been very, very guarded with him and, and making sure they get him to the gates. They want a training camp full speed. But to me, yeah, that's definitely
1: fun. All right, I think we would all say that it's DK on offense, but who is the most freakish athlete on the defense right now?
2: Mm. Tariq Tariq Woolen. Tariq Woolen is still the most freakish, but you want to say Derek Hall. I mean, you want to say Derek. Uh, uh, So here's (laughs) my thing on Derek Hall. Your eye eye test says Derek Hall.
0: Part of it does. I'd like to amend some of my Derek Hall thoughts. He's huge. Uh, And it's setting an edge. I don't see how anybody's going to move him on the edge. Watching him play some linebacker and run around in seven-on-seven, I'm a little curious how he is in space. For different reasons than Daryl Taylor, but... You know, we made a little Aaron Curry reference to him at some point. The body type is sort of similar to Aaron Curry. I don't know that the mind is going to be necessarily having the same problems that Curry did, but I'm curious to see how a guy at his size reacts to some of the need for maneuverability.
2: Yeah, when you look at that freakish, it is, I mean, Kim Walker is going to be way up there. Your tackles, I, I know they're giant guys, but Charles Cross named Lucas for their size, doing what they do. Obviously, DK... I think there's a more of them on that offensive side. As I'm just running through the rolodex of defensive players. Yeah, other than Tariq, is there another like true freak defensively? No. I mean, Boye Mafe, Daryl Taylor, unbelievably jacked mm-hmm. and, and ripped and built and explosive, and so they they should probably and the I outside mean, I, linebacker room should probably be on the list.
0: Yeah, I mean, M- Mike Morris is is interesting just because of the raw size, and but yeah, yeah. DK still by far the answer to this question.
1: What does the offense as a whole need
0: to improve most? I think it's going to sound crazy, but they need to pr- improve their consistency in the running game. I'm not saying that they didn't pop some big runs last year. They did, but they also came with a lot of like, Jeesh, what is going on out there? Kind of, you know, nothing's running into darkness and finding nothing there. Like I would like to see more consistency in the running game, not necessarily more yards or more effort, just more consistency. Yeah.
2: yeah and, <coughs> And that leads to third downs. I would say third downs. A big study for them this offseason. Year three for Geno now with Shane Waldron. That was one of the components of Burt Breer's column that he wrote. That for the first time in Geno's life, high school, college, pro, that he's got the same system for three years. And I think part of the reason you took who you took at 20 with your second most valuable pick in this draft is so you don't get pigeonholed on third down. Mm. Too many times a year ago. It was okay, where's DK? He's doubled. Okay, there's Tyler. Well, they can kind of take him away. Now now you've got between tight ends and running backs that can catch it and three receivers, you should not ever be backed in the corner and have to react. You should be the one dictating even on the most important money down, third down.
1: Which drill tells you the most?
2: Mandatory mini camp, they don't do the the one on one pass rush. Right. That is the most telling drill, I think, in the sport. When those guys in training camp put the pads on, and you see Dre Jones and Jaron Reed working those inside guards and centers, and you see the edge rushers and Daryl Taylor on Abe Lucas and Charles Cross, like to me that is, and that was why it was so alarming. You remember that year where they went with with uh, oh, what was his name? Bad wet towel, Bradley Sowell, and oh, uh, yeah. conv- and then a Gilliam, a converted like tight end to tackle to left tackle. That like, didn't work. Oh my goodness! Oh, Those are the end of the Tom Cable years. <laughs> that <laughs> that was. I'll just Bennett, let Brock Michael this Bennett Michael Bennett is Michael Bennett's livid. He's fighting everybody in the world at practice because he's like these guys suck <laughs> we <can't> play. <laughs> we can't play. I mean, I don't care that I'm whooping bad wet towel. Like he's gonna get. He's gonna be a turnstile mm. all season long. You invested in your O line like that. So yeah, that was a pretty telling sign yeah. back then.
1: Who are you most excited to watch from now through the rest of the offseason?
2: I wanted Brock's body award. We're running oh, out of time. We gotta get, Who, who are is the leading, leading candidate to
1: win Brock's body award? Yes.
2: I mean, the, the outside linebacker room is going to be way off the charts. Jamal? He's going to be way, way up there, too.
0: You're just trying to make up with Jamal now. You're no. trying to be nice after no. a couple of weeks ago. No. Now you're trying to say no. nice things.
2: I can read a room. <laughs> I can't. I'm terrible at it. Not good at it at all. Uh, that emotional intelligence, right? That's, I don't think I'm very the way good they're... at reading a room. <laughs> you know,
0: if you're just going to cut everything I say and keep throwing it back in my face, I'm not going to be honest with you guys anymore. What's the matter with you? But I don't care. I like to be annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, all right, how
1: about this one? Brock, you told me a couple weeks ago Cody Thompson was intriguing after he had a good day at OTAs. Uh-huh. Who are some under-the-radar names to watch for?
0: Don't say Forrest Merrill because he got cut yesterday. <laughs> I saw that. That was a – I that
2: was, was worried you were going to be, oh, you know what? I really like this nose tackle, Forrest Merrill. Yeah, I put together some storylines, four top storylines. I think we'll hit, in, hit, uh, hit those tomorrow uh, with, with this mini camp and okay. leading into training camp. And to, to answer that, Mora, you've got to see who's getting opportunities with the ones. You've got to see who gets in the huddle with know. Like, how much is Olu really getting a chance to run with the ones? So, I'll go into more detail of this tomorrow when we break down those four storylines. But that is, that is like, intriguing. That is where you know, kind of like Latimer, I got a seat at the table. I'm not running with the twos and the threes all the time. I'm legitimately getting a seat at the table to show Pete and show Gino and show Shane and Clint that, that I belong at that table. So, you know, does Jarek, you know, your, what's Jarek's Jerick last Reed? name? There you go. You know, does he get an opportunity? You know, does, how much do these draft picks, Olu, obviously Kim Young, yeah. how much, how many times do they get a seat
1: I'll give, you, I'll
0: give you a veteran name that I think we don't talk much about, but I certainly notice him whenever I'm out there and he's an under the radar kind of story. And that's Kobe Parkinson. Every time I the part, right? Dude, every time you see him, he's like, man, that guy is is just like the perfect specimen for a tight end. He's tall. He catches the ball. They used him more last year when he was healthy. I'll throw him out there as just sort yeah. of an under-the-radar guy that I'll have my eye on when we're out there. Good stuff. More. Thank you. Uh, that is uh, just a little rapid fire as we dig and get ready for mini camp, mandatory minicamp to start today. Huge breaking news. Honestly, earth-shattering news in the world of golf. We'll discuss. Part of everything you need to know. Next, Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. Need to know.
2: 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk.
0: Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, off day for the Mariners. They catch their breath after a huge mess, disastrous week or weekend in Texas. They're in San Diego. The weather is lousy, and they've just got to start hitting. They've got to do something and do it real fast because, well, this I believe, Brock, they had a decent plan heading into this year. You're seeing the execution of that fail and you're seeing the results right now not work at all. And according to Shannon, there's some issues with the way they're just not following the philosophy. The
3: biggest thing in, in what you hear is that they are not following the philosophy of dominate the zone. And that doesn't mean sit back and
1: try and take walks. That means don't miss the pitches you can handle and do damage with. They're missing the pitches that they can handle and do damage with, and then they're getting into a cycle,
3: many of them, of swinging at pitches they have no doubt, no no business swinging at whatsoever.
2: You know, and unfortunately, Salk, this American League is different than it was a year ago. I mean, you kind of started to feel this a little bit last year. You started to feel Texas, although banged up and injured and not anywhere near as complete as they are this year, Take some strides. You started to see Baltimore take some strides. You see a plate against Toronto. You saw them take some strides. The entire American League East has got a better record than you. Even last place, Boston, has a, has a better record than you. Uh, so in, in last year, about this time, you had a 14-game win streak at the end of June and into July that really bounced this season. Who and what will it be this year? I think there's still a lot of confidence in that building. I'm sure that management and and the people involved have a lot of confidence that this is going to turn, that there is no way collectively that Suarez and Hernandez and Rodriguez and these guys can take a step back the way they have this season, that eventually it is going to turn, but it's got to start turning in a hurry. Logan Gilbert will be the
0: guy to try to get it going tonight. He pitches against Joe Musgrove. Remember, the Padres have had just as many, if not more, problems this year than you have. Sounds like Andres Munoz should return tonight as well. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, Seahawks did make a couple of small roster moves yesterday. As I mentioned, C.J. Johnson, Forrest Merrill both cut. Jacob Sykes returns. But the big story of they start mandatory minicamp today for me is Geno Smith. And that's who Albert Breer chose to write about and talk to. And Geno's been out there, not publicly, but going to meet with all of his wide receivers and just putting in all of the work behind the scenes that you need to do if you want to have
2: success as a top quarterback in this league, which is what I believe he thinks he is. Yeah, you should go read the piece on Monday Morning Quarterback. It led Monday Morning Quarterback. That in, in itself is is a story. Uh, but beyond that, some of the cool details of what Burt Breer found with Gino is that after that San Francisco loss, he stuck around. And he actually asked some of the strength staff, hey, you're going to stick around. I, I want to treat this. I want to see what it is like for my body to go through an entire season, not end it in a wild card game, but what it's like to go through the playoffs and all the way into the Super Bowl And stuck around three weeks and then flew all over the country to meet his receivers on their turf and get their work in and then ultimately work on some of his weaknesses. And it was a couple years ago when I was doing NFL games in the COVID season, Salk, that Aaron Rodgers very much did what Gino did and said, gosh, my legs are not what my legs used to be. And I'm going to go back to squatting and I'm going to go back to doing some of those lifts to make my core stronger, my legs stronger. Gino went back into the lab, went to work, and because of it, has come into this camp in impeccable shape. Here's the third thing you need to to know. Huge,
0: huge breaking news this morning in the sports world as the Live Golf Tour has merged with the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour. According to PGA Commissioner Jay Monahan, they're creating a whole new entity. The way that we're doing that is we're creating a for-profit LLC that the PIF is going to invest in alongside the DP World Tour. Uh, And together, we're going to move forward uh, and we're going to take efforts to to grow and expand this great game and to take it to new heights. And so what's happened today and to your earlier question is we've recognized that together we can have a far greater impact on this game than we can working apart. And I give Yasser great credit for coming to the t- t- coming to the table, coming to the discussions with an open heart and an open mind. We did the same. And the game of golf is better for what we've done here today. I don't know about all that. They didn't tell Mm. any of the players. And if I'm Rory McIlroy, Tiger Woods, Jordan Spieth, uh, any of Justin Thomas, Colin Morikawa, John Rahm, anybody who didn't take the money out of loyalty, but not only that, spoke out against it, put their reputation on the line because of the morality, because of the loyalty, only to have the commissioner go behind your back and double-cross you like this? It is it is shocking. I can't I can't come up with another story like this in sports, and it's gonna. I tell you who I feel bad for today, Brock. I don't even know how he will continue to do his job. Is the person that I think is honestly the best at doing their job of anyone in our business, and that's Brandel Chamblee. Mm-hmm. And if you don't watch Golf Channel, you have no idea who I'm talking about, mm-hmm. and you don't care. And if you do, you know that he might be the best sports analyst in the country, and no one was more out there about how this was sports washing by the Saudis. And he is, I don't know what the heck he's going to do. I don't know how he's going to continue to commentate on a sport that was
2: just taken out from under his legs. Yeah, I'm w- in listening to the commissioner, the former PGA, I mean, it's not going to be the PGA anymore, right? I mean, it's going to be a new the name because it's an yeah.
0: LLC. I think the yep. PGA must be a 501c3 where the money gets redistributed back to its members. Yeah, they call themselves a C6. Or a C6. Okay, I don't know enough about that stuff to truly understand it more. And I was at, Morris just asking me, and I mm-hmm. didn't really know how to answer it. We can kill the music. That's everything you need to know. But uh, yeah, it's that's some of the deals that they're keeping some of the money on the side for their uh, retirement funds. The the things that were guaranteed to these players Uh is going to be kept separate. And this new piece moving forward will be funded with billions by Mm. uh, the Saudis. Yeah, but if you're if you're any of those players we just mentioned, do you want the billions? You already decided not to take the billions, right? You already decided that the game of golf, your own morality and, and loyalty was worth more to you. Did they splinter yeah. off again and say screw I this, say, I don't want to be a part go of do this? Do your own tour now? <laughs> I mean, that's Another how the PGA faction? Tour started, right? Jack and Arnie and those guys decided they wanted to do their own. Oof. I, I, <laughs> yep. And then wow. Brock, I'll continue to say it, I put it out there as well and you I know this sort of resonated with you. If I'm the Saudis and I've now had success doing this, mm-hmm. I'm going to turn to my sights sport. on the NBA? That's right. There aren't that many stars. There's international appeal. If you could pick off the NBA's five biggest stars or five of their
2: 10, could you start a rival league that was close hmm. enough? Why not? Yep. Why not? Yep, and kudos to c Raj. I think C-Rodge nailed it. I think his tweet's one of the best I've seen all morning long. Justin highlighted this earlier. Rare to see a Phil Mickelson gamble. Payoff. Oh, very good. This
0: this one has certainly worked. All right, we'll come back to this a little bit later in the 9 o'clock hour. And tomorrow, uh, Andres Gonzalez is going to join us, former PGA Tour player, uh, who does some commentary for, uh, for SiriusXM and the PGA channel there. But we will do that coming up tomorrow. Up next, though, what the heck is going on inside this Mariner clubhouse? Ryan Divish joins us next. You're listening to Brock and Sog. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Things are not good. In the Mariners' world, that's for darn sure, as they had all kinds of issues, not just from the start of the season, but certainly in the last week or so, losing five of their last six and getting blown out in, what, four of those losses. Ryan Divish joins us right now. Usually, this is Jeff Passon's spot. Jeff's on vacation today. Thank you, Ryan, for kind of filling those shoes. Why are we here? Why are we in this spot right now? Why are we having this conversation about the Mariners?
3: Well, because Jeff Passons on vacation. So do I have to can I be like Hello Michael? Hello Michael, yes. how are you doing? Do I have to be all smarmy like my boy Passon? Yeah, and you gotta yes. better yeah. drop
0: in a word that everyone has to look up by the time we're done. And sound effects. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, Mike. I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm not gonna call the Mariners fans spoiled. That that's gonna get him in some trouble. So no, um why are why are we why are the mariners where they're at? Um, I think it's largely because the players that you expected to hit haven't produced at uh, commensurate levels, commensurate. Uh, and then do you have not gotten contributions or better than expected contributions from some players that were, you know, uncertain other than Jared Kelnick. So, like, if you look at the Rangers, Corey Seeger, Marcus Simeon are hitting. Nathaniel Lowe is hitting. But what's made the Rangers special is that Josh Young, uh, Leota Taveras, Ezekiel Duran, and even Adolis Garcia on some level have improved significantly. They're not just like a little bit better. They're a lot better. Maybe that's not sustainable for an entire season, but you look at that lineup and you're like, okay, where's the free out? At? Jonah Heim, much better than he was last year. So it's like that's, you know, and really if you look at the mayor's success last year when they really took off and they went on that streak, Julio was good. He was better than expected. Ty was pretty much who he was. Suarez was kind of of the same. But it was Cal Raleigh that took off last year during that stretch and some other guys that played better than you expected. Maybe you had played before, and that's how they really got going. And, of course, the one-run games. But they're not they're not doing that. They just have too many guys in that lineup that are not performing up to expected levels and I am below expected levels, like well
2: below it. If we had you on day one of this season as the Mariners opened against the Guardians and we had you on, I said to you, Ryan, if I could give you a pick in, in for the season, for the next 162, I give you the Mariners roster or the Texas Rangers roster. On day one of the baseball season, at that point, Whose roster would you have taken?
3: I still probably would have taken the Mariners roster because I believe in pitching. And that's another thing. Like the Rangers pitching has been better than expected. So I would have still taken the Mariners because the pitching matters. And I figured if, if these guys just played to adequate levels offensively, they'd be fine, but they haven't, they played worse than that. They played so much worse. So, yeah, I mean, like that's the thing, like in the, in the Mariners series in Texas, one, they were getting their half kick so bad to start the game that they, the pitchers that the Rangers had to just go out there and throw strikes. They never got into the bullpen, the one true weakness that Texas is really showing. The pitching is, you know, like Tom Gray's been amazing, but like, you know, when Service, if you listen to it, when he talked about they didn't make adjustments, we just saw him. That's as close as Scott Service is going to ever get to blowing up his team on with a camera on or to the media. You know, very rarely is he going to be hypercritical, but you know, they'd face John Gray, I think two and a half weeks before he did the same exact thing to him. And they had the same result. Like he threw a bunch of sliders. They didn't make an adjustment. They swung at a bunch of pitches out of the zone and they got beat in the most winnable game of the series. Totally squandered. Least a steal, start, And so, but like John Gray is also like so much better than what I expected them to be. You know, they're doing all this without Jacob DeGrom really contributing. So, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know that the Texas run that they're on is sustainable, but, like, I still would have taken the Mariners roster just because I looked at the Mariners roster. You had Castillo, you had Kirby, you had Gilbert. At the time, you had Ray, and you knew that all this young pitching was available to help you. And, you know, the pitching's been fine.
0: So
2: how the heck are you Everybody supposed to else?
0: predict this sport? I mean, like, w- with that in mind, how are you supposed to predict anything in this sport if 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 teams with better rosters aren't always I'm like. Who's at fault? How do, you, how, do you, how do you move forward with that information and learn from where we're at right now?
3: Yeah, I don't know. It is a very unpredictable sport. I mean, like look at what the, the Diamondbacks are doing. You know, like the Reds, who still have a terrible roster, are playing better baseball than expected. You know, like there's the Cardinals. They're terrible. You know, it is harder to predict. But I think, for me, if you have a larger mass of proven talent, or experienced talent, more often than not, that is going to lead to success. Like to me, it's it's all about talent. The amount of talent you put on the field versus, you know, usually offsets like ups and downs. You know, if you have enough talent, you can do that. I mean, like that's like a year ago, the Dodgers. You know, some of the guys underperformed, but they had so much talent in the organization and around it that you can kind of offset it. I mean, I, I think that's, you know, you look at the Mariners pitching, part of the reason why they, you know, I mean, I, irregardless to what's happened to Bryce Miller the last two outings, like they have the talent. Brian Wu, you know, yeah, he struggled or whatever, but like there's legit talent there to bring up. So you can offset the losses of an experienced player. Maybe not, you know, immediately May it may not be better, but it isn't like catastrophic. Like two years ago, if Robbie Ray goes down, the Mariners are running out like Robert Duggar, and you know, like they were running out Christian Bregman and Don Roach and all these quad A pitchers that never Sam will Gaviglia? be. Eighty seven, yeah, Sam Guevillo, yeah, um, the, all these guys that were never gonna. They were just they had to be perfect, you know, like Darren McCacken, great AAA pitcher, but if he's not perfect in his location, he's gonna get drilled. Now they're bringing up guys from 96, 97 with real stuff. They're only 23 years old and expected to get better. <laughs> so, I mean, that's why I think it's just enough, amassing enough talent. Yeah, it's unpredictable. But, like, some of the warning signs, too, you have to have to be noted. You know, it's like, are they getting older? Are they starting to decrease? You know, I think you always have to take into consideration uh, the park factors at T-Mobile Park affecting a player's Mentality at the plate, as well as just his numbers are going to decrease. There is no way, you know, not that I thought that Teoscar Hernandez was going to strike out at like fifty percent rate, but you kind of knew Teoscar Hernandez played in the American League East for, you know, seventy percent of his games. Those are all hitter-friendly parks where you know you you don't get penalized if you don't when you hit it perfectly. He knew some of the power numbers are going to go down simply because. He's not playing there anymore. Same with – well, Winker's terrible now, but, like, even in Milwaukee. But those things kind of happen. You have to expect some regression just because of where you play at. But, like, yeah, I, I just – I don't know. I mean, like, I wrote this year that they were probably a bat short when they went into the season. You know, but what we're seeing now is they're like two or three because the people that they went out and got have just not been very good. I I think Like I right now – Right now oh, Brock's, son could try, Brock's son could strike out to Oscar Hernandez.
0: So you just have to roll it up there <laughs> and he's good stuff. Take a swing out that's of it
2: out. It's got pretty good stuff. I've got uh, two fun hypotheticals, I think for you, Davis. They're going to be up your alley. We do a personal time with pass, and I'm not going personal time with you to fill that in, but I, got, I think I got two fun uh, hypotheticals. What is that ballpark in Missoula that's right off I-90 that just looks stunningly beautiful by the river? Who plays there? Yeah.
3: Uh, they have a college wood bat team there. It's uh, Ogre and Shield it's called. It's awesome.
2: So if you are leading that program and you're teaching that team how to play baseball, do you employ control the zone?
3: (laughs) I I maybe not use those words, but you know, like the the Mariners preach control the zone and everybody thinks, Oh, it's this or it's that. I think it's just, to me, it's like, get a good pitch to hit and hit it hard. That's the, the mentality of it all is, they control the control of its own aspect is they're telling you, the managers are telling you what pitches you hit really hard and what counts you can do the most damage in. So do it. It's not like they're telling them to go up there and walk and anything like that. But what happens is, is it doesn't matter what the philosophy is you preach or how much you hammer it in or how much people, players believe in it. The moment they step in the box, all you're up there doing is trying to compete. You know, you're just trying to figure out what is this guy trying to do to get me out and how do I, you know, take advantage of her? How do I lay off these pitches? And right now, what you're seeing is, is these guys, for whatever reason, and there's multiple reasons, I'm sure, multiple motivations, they're not disciplined enough to stay within the plan, their own personal plan. Because, I mean, it's not like, you know, it's not like Julio Rodriguez is up there at the plate going, oh, man, i got to control his zone. This is the Mariners mantra. No, he's up there looking to do damage on a pitch. But also, like, you know, people, Pete, Carol, used to say, sometimes I get a little hormonal before halftime, you know, and make some crazy decisions. It's like Julio. It's like, man, we're not hitting. We really need to do this. I need to do this now, you know. I need to do this. Or for Teoscar Hernandez, maybe it's like, I'm going to contract walk here, and I'm hitting about 190 with no power, you know, right here. Here's the pitch where I'm going to hit a home run. Instead of just saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to hit it hard. So I, I think that's, what, for me, the control the zone mindset, it's, it's an overall philosophy that can be taken into account by players in different ways, you know I mean like part of it is is like when the one one count because you know or when the one one count because if you're two and one, the outcomes that they bat are about three fifty batting average, whereas if you're one and two it's about one twenty batting average down the road that's those are the little things you know it's like people don't and the mariners don't do a great job of articulating it because they don't know if it's proprietary information or what, but like. I don't think anybody of us truly understand what control of the zone means to the Mariners in a lot of ways. But at the end of the day, it's only an overall philosophy. The players still have to have an approach at the plate that's their own because not everybody has the same approach. Julio's approach is probably different than Jared's approach or Ty France or, you know, Cole Long or whoever. Some of these, and some of these guys right now, it looks like they have no approach. They're up there just trying to guess and hit. And that's a tough way to live in the big leagues.
2: Okay, second hypothetical, uh, and this one I've been chewing on a lot because one of this my one's core, ruining Brock's life. Brock's one really of my upset core, about this. One of my Ryan. core beliefs is in incentivization. I like incentivization in business. I, I I've watched it happen in sports, especially the sport that I played and cover. And I'm having a real hard time in a walk year, contract year, watching Teo just implode before our very eyes. So if you are back in Missoula and you're in your tweed jacket with arm elbow patches and you're a professor of journalism at the University of Montana, which you'll be one day, and you say, OK, here is my thesis. I covered baseball for all of these years. And here is my thesis on the greatest motivator in Major League Baseball. What is the greatest motivator? singular motivator for players from your life experience, Ryan, in baseball? Oh, man.
3: Uh, I mean, I would say money, but at the same time, like, I think it's fear of embarrassment for a lot of these guys. They don't want to look terrible. I mean, they spent their whole life. Most of these guys have spent their whole lives being the best player on their team in some capacity growing up. And so, like, to be humbled or to look – to be embarrassed by poor performance is, like, they don't want that. They work very hard. Like, you know, like, people – I always sit there and say, like, a player takes in a bat worse than a fan does. Like, if they strike out, they're going to tell fans, like, no matter how how angry you are, the player is more angry. Then you might not see it, but they are. So I I think sometimes it's like the fear of failure, fear of embarrassment – it's like one of the biggest motivators. Nobody wants to look terrible. You know, these guys are so competitive and so um the mindset is so different. Like if you think you're competitive, to be a professional athlete and the level of commitment you have on a day in and day out basis to work on something is is off the charts. Like it's a different mentality. And you know, I've been around it, like, you know, these guys you just don't get to where they're at on just your talent. Now there's the exceptions. There's a few. Who can, are so talented they can just get there, but most of these guys, it's just it's an agonizing war every day to try and be good.
0: It's funny, you know. Brock was he and I were talking about this last night, just on the phone, and just like, you know, in football, if you're motivated by contract or whatever, you can just go work harder and be better and have a better season. I don't know that that's possible in baseball the same way. It, it just it's more like golf where. You know, it's so much about fine details and getting your swing right, and the exact mechanics of it. Justin compared it earlier to to pick to to a combination lock, where you got to get each single part right before you can open the door. And oh, by the way, if you're not confident enough, then you definitely can't play either sport. It almost feels like you know contract length doesn't seem to really affect those guys nearly as much.
3: No, it's uh, some guys. It gets in their head. I mean, it got in Adam Fraser's head last year. Like, he knew he was losing millions of dollars. Mm. But at that point, you just kind of know. Like, for Frazier, it was like he also just said, I'd never played on a team that won in, the, in professional baseball. And, you know, because he was with the Pirates. He'd never been a part of it. So when they started to win and they started to play well, you know what? It's, at some point, you just come out of the box thinking, all right, any any hope I have of getting like a, playing myself into a multi-year contract is gone. I'm going to have to sign a one-year deal. So now I just got to play. You know, it's like – you know, the the point where you get to that, I think, okay, I, it's not as big of a deal. I mean, I think on some levels, too, you look at what, what happened to Kelnick. You know, so much was made about long-term deal and this and that and service time and everything else. And so much outside stuff came into it. And Jerry came up and was like, I'm going to show these people. I'm going to show everybody. I'm show everybody that I was worth more. and I should have got this. I should have got that. And got caught up in the results. And then, you know, failure happened. And at that point, Jerry kind of realized that if I don't figure something out, and get better at baseball none of this is going to matter mm-hmm. i think for Tayo, he's just got to get past the point and i don't know like his his is so much of a mentality of approach now not beyond the motivation you know like the motivation aspect baseball's a skill sport it's not a it's not a try harder sport you try harder you try and hit the ball that much harder you're going to fail more you have to get to a spot for optimal success where you're relaxed And you repeat all the work and all the try-hard stuff you did to get ready for the game. Once you get in the game, if you try to hit the ball that much harder, if you try to throw it that much harder – you're less likely to have success because that's not how you prepare to be there. Well, I, got yeah, to, I see it, it on the first funny. hole
2: with Salk. I mean, it's so clear. All like right When up. you play around with Salk, all you know, right. like on the first hole, if he's doing all these pre-snaps or pre-swing stuff, you're like, oh, he's screwed. He is so – he's trying he, so hard. Are you Instead done? Instead of just trusting you your I
3: feel, like, I feel like Salk is out there and, like, you know, when he's, like, so Sergio Garcia. Lots of regrips, lots of, you know, waggle. He's probably wearing the, the straw hat like Sergio went through for a while, re-grips it some more. And then right when he gets to go impact, you look at his forearms, you can see all the veins because he's gripping the club so hard.
0: I mean, some of that's right. Like, that guy
3: too, no shot is ever good. Like he'll stripe one down the, stripe one down the middle. And they'll be like 250. It's like, well, it should have been 275. I wish, like, I, I I wish that were harder. true. Yeah.
0: Dude, I wish that were, I wish I hit a 250. <laughs> then I would at least be able to say that. I'd have to first take my driver out and feel confident enough with it to actually use it rather than yeah. that hybrid I've been hitting. Hey, I, I got two questions for you as well. Uh, the first one is is putting your reporter hat on for a moment, not the opinion hat. What's going on in mm-hmm. this clubhouse? You know, is it a good vibe, a bad vibe, similar to the last few years when they were down, worse than the last few years? Does Scott have the clubhouse? Who's stepping up? Like, what's going on in the clubhouse?
3: Uh, It seems pretty much the same as, like, the last few years when they were down to start. I mean, it seems like every year they kind of do this. And I think, you know, they still have that belief. Like, because it's happened both years, like, if we just continue to do our work, every day and we put in the kind of preparation they do they do and they don't you know, they keep doing it that it will turn that, that that it's baseball that the the constant preparation for success will eventually lead to success and so in that way you know there's some been some times where like you know you hear some expletives, and Cal was upset last the other night and you know it, it was interesting like in their own way ty came out of the the locker room and he was he was making fun of Brian Wu and, and Bryce Miller. Like after Bryce got lit up, and Bryce was putting on a cowboy hat and he goes, he goes, Bryce, you, you can't wear the straw cowboy hat. You got to wear the felt one. The felt one's a good strike throwing hat. You know. He looked at Wu. He goes, hey man, you know those fastballs down the middle, they don't work so good here. You know. Just being kind of the the smart Alec type and good nature, like trying to say. And he's like, he just said, hey, it's one game, man. It's not your life. We got to figure it out because we all have bad games. You know. And so. It's, like, think little things like that, you can kind of see where they're not getting, you know, in bad clubhouses, and they lose. It's everybody's blaming somebody else, you know, and you get kind of that nobody cares other than my own numbers. Like, it, that's not the case here. And, like, Good. you know, everybody's like, oh, does Scott lose the clubhouse? I don't, you know, like, I don't know how much he has of verse He doesn't. Like, Scott is the most, and I, I'm sure you hate this, but he's, like, the most consistent human being ever. Like, he's so measured in everything he does and like to me the value of the manager isn't like getting them like you know motivating speeches and this and that is establishing a work or establishing an identity and a standard to this is what you do and this is how you get ready it doesn't matter where you're going good or bad we prepare the same way the expectation is is you do all these things to prepare to win a baseball game that night and never deviate you know for me so it's like do your do your players prepare as much as possible to win? Do they play as hard as they can? Those are like the two biggest things a manager does. Everybody else thinks it's oh, I got to be motivating or got to, you know, like because somebody's like oh, if Scott would get kicked out more, you know, this would motivate the team. I'm thinking to myself, if your manager has to be kicked out of the game to motivate your team, then you have the wrong players, you know. And and that's where I look at it. Like I, I mean, like when they won 14 in a row last year, I didn't. Give Scott all the credit for them winning 14 in a row. So I'm certainly not gonna give, you know, disparage him because they've lost more games than they won. I mean, like the, at the end of the day, the players dictate 90% of that stuff. The manager is just there. He establishes the culture of work and expectation and preparation, and then go from there. I, these guys have been preparing. They're out there still doing the stuff. They haven't quit on all their ground ball work or all their early hitting work. It just hasn't translated into the game. But these guys believe, the players believe that, look, we've always done it this way. We've always figured out a way to start winning games. I think that's what they believe now.
0: It's interesting. You're, you're like the most hopeful voice I've heard on the Marys. I mean, right now people are ready to jump off. You know, they're, they're done, no, I mean, right?
3: Like, well, yeah. I mean, was I probably looking at October vacation trips yesterday? Yeah, <laughs> I was. I mean, because, like, is mean, like, what I wrote about today, the math, and I, I don't think the players understand it as well because they don't understand the new schedule. You know, all they see is a hundred games mm-hmm. left. But like it's just different. You know, they see a hundred games left, and we can win, we can do this. You know, I even mentioned it to Scott, I, like the map isn't working out in your favor this year because the American League East has five teams over five hundred. And they don't they play twenty four games le- less against each other. They don't get to cannibalize each other the way they did last year. Right. You know? And you you have one better team in your division that makes it that much more difficult. And you can't, you know, like, let's say the Astros or Rangers fall back a little bit and you have a chance to overtake them, move up in the wildcard settings. You have less games against them to do so. I mean, that's it's just a different setup. The schedule, yeah. I don't necessarily like it, mostly because I don't want to have to go to Cincinnati in September. But, like, <laughs> the math is a lot more difficult for them to be in the postseason and to make it interesting. All right, last That's thing, quickly,
0: in one, in one minute or less, Ryan, because we got to run here, one minute or less, the Mariners' problems this year, more an issue with plan or with the execution on the plan that they had?
3: Uh, 70% execution, or no, 60% execution, 40% plan. They, they needed more, they needed a better roster. They didn't have
2: enough. The, talent, just right, just talent. You said yeah. you started the yeah, conversation loft. with talent. Locking. Yep. You yeah, started with talent. You talent. ended with talent. Yeah, loft.
0: Yep. Good stuff, buddy. I don't grip. The, I don't grip it too
2: hard. I really don't like that. I have other problems in golf, but I'm not a hard gripper, am I, Brock? No. No. It's just in your head. It's what he said. It's all that work that you do <laughs> off the course. That <laughs> by the time you get yeah, to the I, course, you can't think about it. And what's, you. Do.
0: What's your problem on the course? Mine. Yeah rage and anger <laughs> yeah, that's sort of your problem in mean, the rest got, of I, your life
3: yeah i have the worst mentality for golf ever I, I can hit it pretty well but like i just i have no short game no touch no feel and a lot of anger yeah that's i mean so right. you yeah. at least have some good style Do you got like the jordan golf. oh yeah shoes, oh yeah oh yeah he's know, got he's stuff got, like that yep. oh yeah. It's it's yeah mostly
0: travis matthew like what, whatever travis matthew, travis matthew has got like, the going. lululemon yeah. pants yeah. he's got good shoes yeah. no he travis looks cool. mad.
3: Travis Matthew for white guys that play golf, the rich white guys that play golf. I mean, that's literally
0: who I am. I mean, like, I I mean, like, this was designed with me in mind. All right. You know, we got to go. That's enough, Ryan. We've got to go. That's thank you. Appreciate it. Good stuff as always. And read Ryan and the pages of the Seattle Times or on Twitter, wherever else you find him. He does great work and has really, seriously, Ryan is a great modern day baseball reporter. He is exactly what you're looking for out of a beat writer in today's world, and I think he does a fantastic job. You know what he didn't do? What? Yeah, I'm not a moaner. Yeah, he say didn't say that, weird. but he did take shots at Cincinnati in September. So <laughs> That's it's normal. Justin's on his way there. <laughs> <I'm> in shambles. <laughs> All right. Uh, buy or sell NFL, Brock, or back to live golf? I think I, I got We got to talk more about it. This story is, is so crazy. I know where you're I'm sorry. We just, I'm not going to be able to focus. We're going back to golf next. Brock and Sox, Yale Sports on 710.